0: That means that the, the enemy is going to focus on your character, but you don't want that. You want the, the, the enemy to focus on the tank.
1: I'm glad we're being in excessively nerdy before the start of the podcast.
0: Another Way, a podcast where we review picture frames manufactured between 1894 and 1952, widely considered the golden age of frames. Our focus today will be the framing mecca of Youngstown, Ohio. I'm joined as always by Robert and Rachel. I'll kick us off with the usual opening question. What are the finest frames? you've seen in the last few weeks
1: lee harvey oswald
0: i can't follow that up you you can't even just yes and for once (laughs) (laughs) not a single yes that is the finest frame i've ever seen i answered your question that that, what if i ever fall ass backwards into money i'm forcing you into improv training
2: (laughs) (laughs) you're telling
1: me that wasn't the best answer possible to that question
0: but it wasn't the bit
1: was it the bit? What about the bit? Why can't you yes and the fact that
0: JFK was killed yeah. by the
3: FBI? Exactly. You need to adapt, Aaron.
0: I don't mm. like adapting. I hate improv. Mm. I think that that, that worked itself out pretty well, I think. Anyway, yeah. as you can probably <laughs> tell, we are not an NPR show. Uh this is <laughs> the right can't read, a podcast where we look at what happens in culture and we go,
2: Stop it now!
0: This is for now the last of our journey into the horrors of the tech world robert rachel how stoked are you to not have to talk about this shit for an, at least another few weeks
3: i'm ready
1: rachel yeah. stays wistfully off into
0: the distance <laughs> yeah. i mean you know
3: i love talking about gold standard shit so
2: yeah
0: uh spoilers yeah now we will of course doing that of course um but before we go into that, I- I'd like to give us kind of a recap of what's what's what we've talked about so far. Uh, first episode, we talked about a, uh, how a nest of libertarians guided the discourse around the internet into a place where it became, de facto, a space that rejected moderation and was wide open to predatory capitalism, a spe- species of capitalism that is even more malignant than the normal variant. Uh, They did this by setting an ideological basis informed by Ayn Rand and people like Newt Gingrich. Uh, The language around the internet was one that, from the start, insisted on rejecting the idea that a governing body had any say whatsoever on what happened on the internet. Uh, This was popularized by magazines like Wired and by people like John Perry Barlow, a cattle rancher turned lyricist for The Grateful Dead and staffer for Dick Cheney. That's All of a this. fucking weird business card. It is a fucking weird business card. Uh that dude, it is a shame that he had any impact on society whatsoever. Would have been a lot better if he had just stayed there looking at bulls. Yeah. I don't know what you do when a- you're a cattle rancher. Just look at bulls. <laughs>
1: that's that's the job.
0: Yeah. Hurt them occasionally. Yeah. 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 You got a dog to do that work though.
2: Yeah, uh-huh. I, th-
1: I think you ranch them.
0: That's the verb. Ranching. Right? Cattle ranch. Yeah, you, you just it, you like put ranch. ranch dressing on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there you go. I the think ra- we figured the, that out.
1: The ranch dressing is actually a byproduct of the cattle mining process.
0: Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, is that what is that when when you turn
1: crude cattle, yeah, into diesel cattle?
0: Okay. The byproduct is ranch ranch dressing, dressing,
2: yeah. And
3: that's why it's called Hidden Valley, because they don't want you to know what's in it. Exactly.
0: Yeah, well that, I assume, like, the place is actually hidden, too, because (laughs) you don't want people seeing how the, quote, sausage quote is made. (laughs) And in this case, it's you don't want people to see how the ranch dressing is made.
1: This is my new anti-Semitic conspiracy. (laughs) (laughs)
0: The Jews created ranch dressing and (laughs) And they're hiding it it from us. (laughs) Which is great. I mean, because ranch is very unhealthy for you. And, uh, you know, the best dressings that come into a Jewish deli are like Thousand Island dressing. Oh,
1: yeah. Ranch dressing is a dressing scientifically engineered to attract Goyim and harden their arteries. It is the most Goyish of the dressings.
0: Yeah, this is the fruition of thousands (laughs) of years of the plots of the elders of Zion is
1: the (laughs) pinnacle of Jewish dressing technology.
0: Yeah, we I mean, now we're just spreading out these facts. Uh, Alex Jones hit us up. So all of this is. uh
3: (laughs) Shark is frozen on the screen in a very funny way. I'm
1: not
0: still there enjoying
1: that. I am still here.
0: All right oh, do we do we want to cut? The uh, recording? Yeah, just go back a little bit. Well, so the last time something like that happened, the audio got entirely janked, and it was a pain of the ass for you to edit it. Do you remember that? Because like Rachel dropped from one of the episodes.
1: I think it'll be fine. I worked out okay. the solution last time.
0: Okay, so we just kind of riffed on ranch dressing. Yeah. Do you, how far back you want me to go in the riff? i can i can try and revisit this yeah let's take the ranch
1: bit from the top <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we can ju- we'll just go on
0: what um, <laughs> are your script do it ah!
2: <laughs>
0: so you know uh john perry barlow of course c- cattle rancher turned lyricist for the grateful dead staffer for cheney and someone who is uh the the goyish face of the worldwide jewish conspiracy to inflict ranch dressing on the world and kill vast swaths of wasps uh all of this combined into a heinous jambalaya that led to people like newt gingrich <laughs>
1: holy st- fuck that's my punk rock band
0: heinous jambalaya hey, that's it's pretty jambalaya. good yeah, that's a good point that is a good band name we do
1: exclusively uh, punk rock covers of southern folk songs <laughs>
0: <laughs> no it's it's not southern folk it's zydeco yes uh so they 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 worked with people like new gingrich um and started to kind of stump for this new ideology called cyber libertarianism and this was brought into congress and uh along with barlow gingrich and john perry barlow they they started calling people like al gore uh a tyrant and Al Gore is a man whose only defense against bullies is blinking slowly and sweating.
1: As evidenced by, 2000, by the 2000 election.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's it's the national record. Yeah.
2: Uh,
0: and then our second episode was focused on Web 2.0. We talked about how social media became the dominating force on the Internet, how it supplanted more static web pages and websites alongside, uh, you know, Chat rooms that used to exist. Uh, We then talked about how the people at the forefront of Web 2.0, people like Mark Zuckerberg and Sergey Brin, weaponized the addictive capabilities of what they were creating and turned the internet into an ad farm and massive data collection operation. Then, I force-fed you red pills and told you about how VCs are little more than shysters watching the movement of birds to figure out where to throw their money and how their money has led to the support of genocides and civil wars across the world. And today, we're going to talk about the worst part of it all, Bitcoin and the crypto bubble. You guys ready for this?
1: The most disappointing moment of my entire life was when Larry David was in that Super Bowl crypto commercial.
0: But Larry David turned out to be right because it is bullshit.
3: Yeah, hmm. I'm excited to see what else I don't know about the awful world of crypto <laughs> and Bitcoin. And
0: yeah, a lot of what I'm doing is trying to kind of, well, you'll see. Well, we'll we'll talk about what you didn't already know. It. I I feel like <laughs> this whole thing is if you're on the internet and if you're not bought into it, you kind of know how shitty Bitcoin and crypto are in general. So I, my focus here is more about the underpinnings of all of that and what makes it what it is but first we're not immediately going to talk did you think this was going to be straightforward (laughs) did you think this was some idiot's guide to the internet you fools (laughs) you fools have you ever listened to a script i've written have you not listened and (laughs) (laughs) sorry all right i'd like to start off our conversation by talking about a couple (laughs) of things that really (laughs) underpin everything we've been discussing for the last couple of episodes you know how when we were talking about barlow i mentioned that he was not a technical expert mm-hmm. and really the only thing he could do was talk a lot about the wonders of cyberspace and talk about how the bunch of nerds he'd met who were people working from a basement and called themselves stuff like the legion of doom Jesus
2: uh were real hey
0: yeah, forgot about that didn't you <laughs> no these people were really the the vanguard of a revolution in society So how do you think that happens? How do you think these sorts of people succeed? How can a guy who said of his career shift from cattle to talking up technology said this, he's quoted as saying this, I concluded there is a lot more money in BS than in bull. (laughs) That's a good quote, though. It is a good quote, and it is accurate. (laughs) Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, to me, there are two things here. The first one directly relates to how Barlow succeeded, likely, in everything in his life. And the second is something that is more broadly appealing to everything you see on the internet. The first one is brash overconfidence.
3: Mm, Okay, I was going to say
0: patriarchy, so same thing. Yeah, Yeah. same thing. (laughs) Um, Now, there's a paper out there that is worth reading titled simply The Evolution of Overconfidence. It was written by Dominic D.P. Johnson and James H. Fowler from the University of Edinburgh. Johnson and Fowler basically set out to look at why overconfidence exists. Overconfidence, they say, is a trait that leads to an outsized belief in one's abilities, translating to throwing one's weight around, increased aggression, all that good stuff. Throughout the course of the paper, they come to a few conclusions that are worth noting. One, this trait exists everywhere in nature. Think of a chihuahua trying to attack a pit bull at a park. Two, they surmise that species evolve this trait in order to win resources and, in a sense, outbluff opponents rather than engaging in a fight, or, when in a fight, outperform through aggression fueled by overconfidence and abilities. And three, humanity appears to have a higher predisposition toward overconfidence than other species. Now, I don't think that Barlow is overconfident in the aggressive sense, but he is definitely overconfident in a be- in his ability to be a communicator. You only <laughs> have to read things he's written to come to that conclusion, the Declaration of the Independence of Cyberspace, not to throw up. But the thing is, overconfidence often works. And for whatever reason, it seems to work really well when you're talking about tech journalism and the FBI, <laughs> Two groups who really dug what Barlow was sh- was saying. That's
1: because the FBI is an organization based entirely on positive vibes.
0: <laughs> they have one uh, of those those like things, dream charts, vision boards. <laughs> yeah, they have vision Too boards intense. about how they're going to solve crimes, and that's <laughs> how they do it.
1: My favorite I, FBI stories that must have been an insane pitch is one of my favorite genres of thing, and like. The shit that they did can only be explained by a really positive outlook. <laughs> like, I do not have the pure confidence to try to pull off some of the Acme shit that the FBI did.
3: No, that's for sure. I just got done watching or watching listening to um, episodes of cool people who did cool stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: The most recent ones were about, um, I think, anarchists who rated fbi an fbi office in i want to say philadelphia and just listening to all of the asinine shit that the fbi was doing and it was like all it had to do with a co intel pro too oh, yeah. so
0: we had wild the first stuff. face rub of the episode <laughs> and My we favorite. are how many pa- four pages in so good sick
1: Cool. my favorite fbi <laughs> one is when they tried to convince people in the philippines that vampires existed by staging <laughs> vampire attacks what this yeah. is new to me it's true look it up they 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 did a whole fake vampire thing in the philippines your tax dollars at work well your parents but they were trying to prove that I... vampires were real the filipino
0: villagers <sighs> okay We We could we we uh, could have a train system. No, no. We
1: gotta make fake vampires. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Fun story. I'm I'm uh, I'm going to Chicago in the fall, and I was hoping to just take a train to Nashville from Chicago. You can't do it. No. You can take a train. That would make too much sense. But then you got to connect on Greyhound. (laughs) So hey, yeah, let's just convince Filipinos that.
1: And just going out on a limb. Maybe don't take a train through Ohio, Aaron.
0: No, it wouldn't be through Ohio. It'd be through St. Louis.
1: I guess you wouldn't have to go through Ohio to get to St. Louis. It's a border state, though, isn't it?
0: Uh, The wrong side
1: of it,
3: though.
0: Yeah. Isn't it great how quickly uh, your ability to conceptualize a map (laughs) is when you uh, live on the opposite side of the country?
1: I refuse to learn anything about anything. East no, of Denver. It, all right,
0: so it's Illinois, Indiana, then Ohio. Yeah, that, there we go. Geography. Turn, out. turn
1: everything east of Denver into a parking lot. I refuse that's... to learn anything about it. <laughs> In the continental United States. Everything it's east your, of Denver. Your,
0: your mountain elite crap. Mountain desert cactus thing. <laughs> Joshua trees bullshit. <laughs> that's what I say. <laughs> The only good
1: things east of Denver are already a parking lot. Turn the rest of it into a parking lot. I don't want so to go you, to the other you, ones anyway.
0: You like Clarence Thomas? Love Walmart parking lots more than resorts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're, we're we're building bridges here on this podcast. Yeah. You know who else builds bridges? Is this segue that I'm doing right now?
2: So I, I also
0: think that this overconfidence thing applies to tech founders and VCs for that strata of society. You know, the sorts of people who recommend the art of war as a business textbook. Overconfidence isn't a oh, bomb.
1: That guy. That's, Whenever you see that guy run at full speed,
0: that's every leadership tier of most tech companies.
1: Are you for real?
0: It's this shit is endemic. You don't spend time on LinkedIn, do you, Shark? I spend absolutely
1: zero time on LinkedIn.
0: <laughs> That's for the best.
1: People are like, here is an ancient Chinese text written multiple thousands of years ago about how to kill people with yeah. pointy things.
0: Yeah. And they take it as, here's how you do with capitalism. We are a broken society that does not deserve to be redeemed. That is correct. Bring on the League of Shadows. (laughs) So these are the sorts of people who can, with a straight face, say that their cloud-based infrastructure built to incentivize regular engagement in a B2B marketing space across verticals will change the world. And they are the sorts of personalities Johnson and Fowler discuss in their paper. If you ever find yourself in a room with that personality, uh, you'll be running for them bottle of Tullamore Dew within a few minutes of hearing Be Bold 17 times when it comes to churning out a fucking batch of code. It is terrible. Absolutely horrible. Agriculture was a mistake and we should never have left the oceans. Our ancestors should have been consumed by Megalodons. It would have been a greater mercy. Anyway, that's Founders and VCs.
1: The worst part about learning to code is which I'm doing right now. Is
0: that you have to learn how to be bold
1: is that you have to read the occasional blog post by someone who's just a fucking sociopath like this, Mm -hmm. who thinks they're, like, not writing code, but reinventing how people communicate. And it's like, you're fucking not. You're not. No. You're making a slightly faster USB port. Yeah. And we just calm the fuck down.
0: No. No, you can't. Because you have to be overconfident in order to get people to adopt your spec.
1: That's the point of the, yeah.
0: Yeah. But beyond that, what about every asshole on the internet? Does overconfidence explain why whenever you make the mistake of clicking through to the comments on Reddit, you see some jackass make some claim like they could easily take over medieval Europe by showing people (laughs) how to make pasta? (laughs) That, that that was one of my favorite bits of reddit uh was like uh, i don't know 15 years at this point some jackass was claiming that he could go back in time and take over europe and his lifetime by showing people how to make pasta what the what was the logic <laughs> uh yeah. that it was, it was a caloric food that they did not know how to make and it was easy to make so that they could feed themselves more efficiently and then people would be so amazed because he also knew physics very well apparently and also metallurgy because he claimed that he could show them how to make bullets and rifles it was Uh. was so stupid the guy read a connecticut yankee in king arthur's court and thought it was a how-to guide oh god so behind that there are a couple of schools of competing thought the first is that this is really another psychological glitch, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Put simply, this was broached in a paper from 1999 that said, mostly, those in the 12th percentile self-ra- self-rated their expertise to be, on average, in the 62nd percent. Those with limited knowledge in a domain suffer a dual burden. Not only do they, meet, they reach mistaken conclusions and make regret- regrettable errors, but their incompetence robs them of the ability to realize it. Which, Basically,
1: Rachel is a woman who routinely does an athletic thing. <laughs> I'm sure you're aware of that.
3: Oh, yeah. It's, it's really great watching, you know, men step up to a barbell and you're like, oh, I can squat that. And then I'm like, you're not going down at all. You're barely moving. You should try taking some plates off, man. Like, <laughs>
1: And then they finish their set and tell you how to do it. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then rachel snaps them in half Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so basically people learn a little bit about something and their brain gives them a huge shot of dopamine because you did a thing that you're supposed to do and
2: we learned! A- You learned
0: you <laughs> learned and then another bit of your brain goes hey we got dopamine we're the fucking best people ain't <laughs> got shit on us because we know how to print hello world with javascript <laughs>
3: <Heck> yeah <laughs>
0: Dunning and Kruger, the authors of the paper, How could you at
1: me like that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I am a human. I too was once one of these people. (laughs) Uh, So the authors of this paper propose that this is the psychological basis for a lot of weird behavior. We would know it as behavior on the internet. Full stop. Uh, Now there are other ideas about all of this. One of these comes from a guy named Alexander Danvers. Alexander Danvers. And he argues that it's much simpler than all of that. He proposes that this is just mere overconfidence. And he suggests that this is not some specific phenomenon, but the simple fact that everyone, every single person, would like to think that they're smarter than average. So, was Barlow simply someone who wanted to be better than average and swaggered enough that people thought he was better? Does this explain why the fucking FBI thought he was a valid expert on hackers? I don't know. Probably. That's my guess. My hunch also is that overconfidence is a better explanation than the dunning- Kruger effect. I don't have a good reason. I have a hunch. My hunch tells me that anytime you you have something that's become a popular explanation for something on the internet, especially when that's been adopted as an explanation on the internet, it's probably wrong. but that just might be my my overconfidence and my ability to discuss how <laughs> bullshit. I don't know, who knows but what I really want to talk to you two about today is Andrew Jackson and the Banks. God Are you God. ready for this? This will be lovely.
1: Uh, I'm so aware of everything you're going to tell me. Right. You wanna, do,
0: do you want to lead us into this?
1: No. Okay.
0: Uh, I will. I, I. You can fill in. Is this the traditional
1: that. right-wing libertarian screed? Kinda. Okay.
0: Yeah, so essentially, Andrew Jackson was elected as a populist. People saw him as an average Joe who'd stand up for the interests of far. Yeah, go ahead, Rachel.
3: Can I ask yeah. what that meant? What being a populist meant in that time?
0: You represent. Is it very different? Just, Is it the same? It's basically the same. in this, in his context, it was like you represented farmers and laborers. Okay. Instead of, I you don't know, factory workers. Okay. But yeah, I mean, it essentially it's the same thing. Um, he kind of pitched himself as someone who would represent them versus the fat cats in Washington or the big bankers who owned their property. Uh, it is, of course, noting that worth noting that the indigenous Americans who Andrew Jackson uh, desperately wanted to kill were not counted in this average Joe demographic, and in fact, never are to to this day. Uh, one of the or,
1: nor the pop, most of the population of the American South.
0: Well, yes, <laughs> yeah, that that also is worth noting. Uh, it, it, I think Jackson's racism toward the uh, native folks goes mostly spoken <laughs> about. Yeah. because of all of the genocides that he tried to because do because andrew jackson and was somehow
1: wicked. more racist to indigenous people yeah. than he was to black people that so.
0: kind of hits every president across the board
1: amazing like yeah. you're already the most racist a person can be and you're yeah. like let's fucking do it Hold on, <laughs> yeah
0: yeah well and it doesn't help
3: that he influenced you know hitler through yeah. his actions
2: so
3: yeah. Cool. Yeah.
0: Cool. Yeah. cool cool uh, it's all guy. very very cool Uh, So one of the things that his populism tapped into was anti-banking sentiment. This, of course, is nothing new. People have hated banks since they existed. This is one of the reasons anti-Semitism in Europe has been a thing since there were Jews in Europe. In the medieval era, there were various restrictions against Christians issuing loans for various reasons that we're not going to get into. Uh, To get around the fact that early state societies needed banks and lending institutions, many feudal lords...
1: Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, Aaron. You can hate banks and bankers without being
0: anti-Semitic. You can. (laughs) Just because it doesn't happen all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But this is kind of one of the main roots of anti-Semitism in European societies. Uh, All of this kind of issuance of loans, because there were no other jobs to turn to, turned into the Holocaust eventually as well as all of the blood libels and yada 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 this is not a history of anti-semitism podcast despite how much I want it to be
1: (laughs) despite the content of the
0: podcast (laughs) despite the content of the podcast
1: wait so you're telling me that because Jewish people weren't allowed in European society and had different laws for what governed their interactions around things like interest and banking they became bankers and then people were able to like co-opt that as a way to stoke hatred against Jewish people.
0: That's I, I, what I'm gonna take
1: what I'm gonna take out of that is that Jewish people were bankers and I don't like bankers. Could I read more on
0: <laughs> subscribe to this? <laughs> but what I'm getting at here is the anti-bank sentiment in general is the more important thing. I just, one, I'm sure Jackson hated Jews.
1: Anyway, <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> anyway. He hated anyone who wasn't from within like two and a half minutes of Andrew Jackson's house.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, that anti-bank sentiment uh, has been baked into America since the start. Uh, We've had a real complicated history with money and currency. At various times in our nation's history, we've had a gold standard, a gold and silver standard. We've accepted foreign currency as equivalent to American currency. So, you know, you could go into a store in the colonies or shortly after the colonies or whatever and buy things with British pounds or doubloons or whatever (laughs) if you didn't have whatever your area was using at the time. We've allowed states to issue their own currency, and so much more. If you were so inclined, you could make a decent argument about how our approach to money is a great microcosm of how America has always been a deeply divided country with a schizophrenic approach toward whether we want pure liberty or a centralized government. But in Jackson's day, there being a national bank was still relatively new. Jackson hated it. He wanted that shit to end because he viewed it as intrinsically crushing vast swaths of people, and- <laughs> Which one... could only be done by Andrew Jackson, not a fucking bank. <laughs> he wanted to be the one crushing people, goddammit. Yeah, solely the purview of the president. The fucking job of the president! Not these tyrannical banks! I should be the tyrant! Oh, So Jackson figured that he knew better than these so-called experts when they said that not renewing the so-called charter of the Second Bank of the United States would be a disaster. So Jackson gave in to his overconfidence and did not renew the charter, and the bank collapsed. This then led to a chain of other collapses, which sent inflation skyrocketing, state-level banks fumbling the ball, and then a censure of Jackson by his opposition party. It was, you might say, one of the many instances of a populist claiming to hate the centralization of power and then centralizing power to do a thing he wanted to do, leading to blowback. It's also worth noting that, uh, like many people in our recent history, Jackson claimed that the bank was un- unconstitutional, even though the Supreme Court had confirmed that it was, in fact, constitutional shortly before he did the thing. All of this happened in the 1820s, barely 40 years after the Constitution was adopted. This could be shown. As yet more evidence that the Constitution is a shitty document, and the people who wrote the Constitution really should have been more clear about what they were talking about if they wanted it to be used by people after they died, or when they were still alive. So anyway, I bring this up because this whole thing led to the creation of the Federal Reserve, something that was intended to ensure maniacs couldn't as easily do things that would jack up inflation and screw over people who had tenuous existence. Of course, the Fed is problematic and, uh, you know, bad, but we're not talking about that. We're not. I can tell by the fact that Shark is foaming at the mouth, that Shark wants to, but we're not. Another reason this is important is because if you've talked to anyone with interesting ideas in the last, well, 200 years, you've probably heard some level of crowing about the the gold standard. To recap, Briefly, America was, like many countries... This episode
1: touches on so many of the worst kinds of...
0: I know. Like, there
1: know. are whole genres of people that I
0: just... <laughs> this whole trio of episodes has yeah. been a challenge. And these people never change, they just wear hoodies now.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so, at one point we were on the gold standard, meaning that a dollar was representative of a por- portion of gold and theoretically could be exchanged for that amount of gold. Over time, partly because of the kind of shit Jackson pulled, that changed and we waffled between gold standards, a mix of gold and silver, and ultimately, where we are now, fiat currency. Fiat currency is not tied to gold, though the U.S. has a nationalized supply of gold, featured in the fantastic documentary, Goldfinger.
2: (laughs)
1: You had
0: to do it. I had to do it. (laughs) The (laughs) fact that we are not, that we don't have the gold standard has made a lot of people very upset. Generally.
1: Exclusively the worst people you know.
0: Yes, exactly. And every time it comes up in conversation, you should be. Yeah. Uh, Now these, most of these people are very wealthy. And they have the means to engage in the sorts of commodity trading that actually means that they see returns on their investments. As one example of the sorts of things that comes out of these changes, the novel Wizard of Oz, on which the movie was based, is often read as an allegory for the dangers of the gold standard, as told by someone who is, not, who is really jazzed not about fiat currency, but about silver. From Big Think, they've got an article about this that was, a well, quick read, interesting, this interpretation of the novel reveals some interesting hidden gems. The story follows a girl named Dorothy who's lost her way and is far from home. What she's really seeking is safety and security. At the encouragement of the Munchkins, she follows the yellow brick road, the gold standard, Emerald City, which many believe represents Washington, D.C. Seattle. Just kidding. <laughs> or Seattle. <laughs> the other seat of power in this country. <laughs> Once there, Dorothy discovers that the great and powerful Oz is nothing more than a fraud. Interestingly... Oz is the abbreviation used for an ounce of gold. In the end, it is Dorothy's silver shoes, the film adaptation made them ruby, that save her. it really makes you wonder if L. Frank Baum would be as angry as I get when I hear ads about gold, but for entirely different reasons. But the reason I bring up this interpretation of one of the linchpins of American fablesmithing is because it kind of shows how you just, how just entrenched this whole metallic standard thing is. Beyond books you probably haven't read, you'll often read some or you'll often hear some right wing politicians and many, many right uh, talk show hosts either screaming that we need to return to the gold standard or hawking gold as a hedge against inflation. Luminaries such as Ron Paul, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Rick Santorum and Newt Gingrich just in the contemporary space all backed mm. the uh, the gold standard in their planks for running for office.
1: My favorite fucking yeah. thing about these guys is that their core argument is like, if you just do a fiat currency, then there's nothing to back the money, and it's yeah. not worth anything because it's not backed by anything real. And it's like, fucking
0: yeah.
1: nothing's real.
2: <laughs>
0: nothing nothing
1: costs real. anything. Nothing. Nothing we made costs money any- We have
0: done this. It's not real. We have done this. Yeah.
1: It's just like, it's- unless you are trading me like tomatoes or chickens that I need, like, yeah. Like a barter. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, we're going into that. Rest assured.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) We're having a fun time today. (laughs) So, despite this, the gold returning to the gold standard being roundly acknowledged as a bad idea by people who have to work with money on a national level, this group of randroids has come out in favor of a policy that we were really never on board as a country. An article in The Atlantic kind of goes into why this is, uh, the, the quoting, The conversations about gold in recent years and are perhaps less about the belief that it's actually smart policy and more about condemning and rejecting the power of government, through the Federal Reserve, to control the printing of money and the setting of interest rates. For some conservatives, these powers stand in direct opposition to their preference for small government and their conception of free market capitalism. Some also see the ability to print money— which can uh, devalue existing dollars as a form of taxation, another violation of Republican beliefs. The Atlantic also gently notes uh, that the gold standard is an excellent way to go about making your currency much more volatile than it is already, instead of being more stable, because people trade it as a commodity, which impacts the value.
1: Yeah, to get a little economic nerdy, there's fiat money and commodity money. And if you're using a gold standard, fiat money is money backed by nothing. Commodity yeah. money is money backed by a thing. It can be anything. If you suggest anything other than silver or gold, people look at you like you're out of your fucking mind for reasons I don't understand. But you can create commodity money out of, say, anything. For Dogs. instance, yeah. The people in Yap Micronesia use giant stone locks like these big fucking circles they're like eight feet tall and you couldn't carry them and sometimes in an attempt to move them they like got dropped in the water and then you just owned the thing that was in the water and you couldn't even look at it (laughs) which shows the commodity money is made up
0: yep this is uh, this episode is going to quickly become Shark and Aaron talk at Rachel about <laughs> about commodity trading.
3: I'm listening eagerly,
0: <laughs> dreaming about going back to a CrossFit gym.
3: Well, no, I'm just I remember in my poli sci classes learning about not all of this, but yeah, like the gold standard and changing away from it, and like the thoughts and perspectives around it, and it's all just like coming back
0: to me, so. Yeah. I'm sorry to reintroduce.
3: It's all good. It's okay. good.
0: Oh, now, wait, I do have my, to say though, oh, before ahead. we go on, yep.
3: I've been hearing the stupid commercials on iHeartRadio yeah. podcasts for yep. the fucking gold, and for the longest time, <laughs> it's like
0: was a Reagan joke. coin. Yeah, I love I the Reagan joke.
1: coin <laughs> commercial.
3: Yeah. It's a great bit. Like I thought
1: <laughs> it was a joke too. It was like fuck. This would be. This is the entirely wrong demographic for the listeners of Behind the Bastards. Yes, I'm like, yeah. who
3: agreed? Who said that this was okay to put on this podcast? It's, it's <laughs> the
0: joys of the way these ad things work is they just like kind of... I think there's like a plugin that they use for iHeartRadio and like the central hive mind just inserts ads for whatever's on rotation. Okay. So I'm like, God knows what else is on (laughs) iHeartRadio's catalog, but I'm sure it makes a lot of sense for a lot of people, (laughs) which is great. We love it.
1: My favorite commodity currency that I think we should go back to is the Hudson Bay company once put out a coin that you can trade at, the Hudson Bay Company, that was equal in value to the average pelt weight of one male beaver. And I'm just saying, <laughs> we could go back to the beaver standard. You know,
0: let's just go with caps, precious and embrace precious fallout. Me-
1: precious metals mean nothing. I can wear a beaver.
0: <laughs> yeah, that yeah, sure. It's
1: the only real currency.
0: <laughs> it's beaver skin. <laughs> beaver tokens they
1: were called beaver tokens (laughs) aaron jesus one one they were actually called made beaver but one made beaver was equal to one beaver skin
0: there we go this is our pitch we go back to made beaver as as our as our monetary currency Hmm. so the argument these people make is we kind of touched on this already is that because gold is gold they say that it is free from it in extrinsic pressures and has inherent value and is inherently stable
1: which is the dumbest so thing
0: stupid it's very stupid. Yes. yeah <laughs> and by tying the dollar to gold which is a metal and thus does not grow or shrink our dollar bills will not grow or shrink either now just consider the chaos if our dollar bills grew or shrunk that's what happens when you have fiat currency they grow or they shrink at will you can't control it because you don't the fiat it's not backed by anything but metal doesn't grow or shrink see it's logic simple logic
2: those are
0: you
3: guys remember the little nice. the little um like washcloths that you grew in water
0: oh yeah like little that things that were in pills and then became dinosaurs. that's what i was
3: just thinking of for currency yeah. like you put it in oh, water, do that. And it gets bigger it grows
0: yeah those were great <laughs> I love those. When I was a kid, I put one up my nose and I had to go to the hospital. <laughs> That's a great fucking story. Uh,
3: yeah, you should tell I that was like, smart. at parties, like your icebreaker.
1: <laughs> yeah, they should, uh, yeah, you can't. And, uh, the government and other institutions can in no way manipulate the price of gold.
0: No, no. That's, We're not going to be talking about one of those instances in a, in a few paragraphs. Not at all
1: no yeah oh, we why would, would we? we would wonder it doesn't why gold prices now are higher than ever because we use yeah. them in computers
0: yeah um, and they started yeah. peaking
1: around the 70s for some some is, reason
0: some so, so strange so these these guys they also argue that gold is a hedge against inflation so I did some quick searching, as I am wont to do, and found a really mixed bag of analyses about that. A Federal Reserve of Chicago article and a Forbes analysis are two things that I want to highlight. And they argue that gold can be a hedge against inflation, but only a moderate one, and over the course of about 100 years. And within that time period, they say, the value of gold fluctuates enough that you can't really count on it to be stable as compared with inflation. Based on the Forbes analysis, you'd be well off or better off just spreading your money throughout investments in the stock market, you know, diversifying the sort of of advice you're given in economics classes in high school, uh, or if you listen to our spiel about VCs last episode. So basically, gold is not a cure-all. In fact, the Fed article points out that gold is just as vulnerable to extrinsic forces like price fixing or pump-and-dump schemes as anything else. You should be catching on to a specific parallel here, but before we go into that parallel in detail, I want to talk about price fixing in gold. Again, proponents of the gold standard would have you believe that it does not substantially change in value and always remains valuable because its values cannot be impacted by outside sources. This is proven false by many court cases, but we're going to focus briefly on one. In 2013, U.S. regulators looked into City of London trading for allegations of price fixing in the gold market. This was after a group of investors figured out that something was fucky. From a Guardian article about this, quote, The Commodity Futures Trading Commission is discussing whether the daily setting of gold and silver prices in London is open to manipulation, according to the Wall Street Journal, which stated that the CFTC is examining whether prices are derived sufficiently transparent. Essentially, The case hinged on five banks, Barclays, Deutsche Bank, HSBC, Bank of Nova Scotia, and Société Générale, and they worked together twice a day to agree on a fixed price of gold, and whether or not that was analogous to price fixing. Now, you could hear that previous sentence and go, well, yeah, and you'd be right, but because we're dealing with gargantuan banks, the case was in progress for an eye-popping eight years before a judgment came down that, in fact, the five banks were price-fixing, and they said that they were. But because we live in an unjust world, the banks paid a slap-on-the-wrist fine of $50 million to the plaintiffs to end the case. But this did do two things. First, it opens up the precedent for suing because of price-fixing in this market. And second, it shows that, yes, gold's value is definitely manipulated by the outside in the same way as literally every other commodity. And that brings us to the real point of this Web 3.0 cryptocurrency in what is rapidly emerging as the new bubble ai and the primary source i have for this section is a book titled the politics of bitcoin software as right-wing extremism by david columbia it's fairly short and you should all read it because it applies to uh, just as much to ai and every other tech bubble as it does to bitcoin and cryptocurrency in the book i
1: would, I would just like to begin this section by saying that there was once a time in america when I was in college, when you would buy Bitcoin simply to purchase drugs online, yep. and it was a beautiful system, <laughs> you would go and roll your money into Bitcoin. If you lost it, you lost all your Bitcoin. We hadn't invented banks for Bitcoin. You just had a Bitcoin wallet.
0: Well, those banks are invented, and they still get raided yeah, yeah. Uh, and heisted and heisted all the time, but go on.
1: And then <laughs> you sent your Bitcoin to someone in Spain, and they mailed you high-quality opiates that you picked up at your college mailroom, and that is a meaningful thing that helped <laughs> a lot of people. It's a
0: beautiful thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, And the fact that they have corrupted the thing I used to buy ecstasy in the (laughs) mid-2010s is disgusting.
0: Sorry. I truly am sorry. (laughs) Bitcoin was once great. Make no, it, great never again. Was, it was never great because of all the reasons that we're talking about for the last three episodes it's mm-hmm. underpinned by everything that's the whole point it's always been a right-wing bullshit scam anyway oh. columbia outlines how the arguments used in rhetoric about crypto are the same arguments used by people like ron paul and alex jones about gold and now they're doing this about crypto basically they hinge on a central premise. That the international monetary system is about to collapse because of fiat currency controlled by global banking elites. <laughs> and the only way to survive Burn is to season. have an alternate currency. <laughs> These people once hawked gold as the only way to survive economic collapse, but hey, they have increasingly turned their, their myopic eyes to crypto. And in his intro, Columbia writes the following, which is a perfect summary of exactly where we are today.
1: And the good thing about crypto is much like the beaver currency, you yep. can, it's backed by the weight of all the animals it's killed. Exactly. Yeah. And is... that's a lot of
0: animals. <laughs> yeah. We're going to talk about yeah. how much, yeah. how, much it's how much more like... than one beaver per Bitcoin. It's, it is. It's much more than one beaver per Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, people who mine Bitcoin actually do it by going out and shooting endangered animals, yeah. and they process that, the spines of those animals, into Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah. So Columbia writes the following, uh, big tech's larger political goals are in alignment with the old extraction industries undermining the countervailing power of government and po- public politics to weaken its ability to impede their growing dominance over their portions of the economy and ability to tax their obscene stores of cash. That's the central point of everything we've talked about, from all of those wired interviews to the inshidification of the internet to what we're going to be going into now. So with yet another quote to tee up where we're going uh, when it comes to crypto and money, let's get into Bitcoin, quote. The presumption that computer based expertise trumps that of all other forms of expertise, sometimes because everything in the world is ultimately reducible to computational process. Do you remember last episode when I uh, talked about that Palantir ad that I saw on Duolingo and the guy saying that all problems are technical problems? (laughs) Yeah. It's all there. So, anyway, Bitcoin was first created in 2008 by. Someone or a group of people writing as Satoshi Nakamoto. The pitch was that Bitcoin would be a decentralized currency, not subject by a governing body like the Federal Reserve or International Monetary Fund or anything else. And in order to accomplish this goal, coins would be minted by tasking computers to solve complex problems. Once computers solve these problems, their work would be checked by all other computers on a node... And if validated, the computers would be issued a Bitcoin. From the start, Nakamoto's goal was that there would be only a set number of coins that would ever be minted, which means that as more coins were minted, these problems required more and more computing uh, power to solve. As coins are minted and the exchanges are made, these records are logged in what's termed the ledger, or in more technical circles, the blockchain. Are you with me so far?
3: Yeah, but can I ask a question? Yeah. What what do you mean by like solving the problems? Like what are the that gets problems? into a more
0: technical level than I that I am capable okay. of getting into? But basically, <laughs> like you have a, a a a computer is tasked with doing a program, and once it does a bit of the program, it it says I'm done, and then every other so- every other computer that has like that software. Like is notified and then there's like a little background process that checks that the solution and work is valid
3: okay all right
0: beyond that that's all i can really handle because <laughs> then you start getting into engineering and like crypto stuff and i'm not like crypto um uh, like cypher technology and security and all that and i can't i can't do that i'm not that i'm not that capable and it's stupid it's very stupid, too. Sure. Now, the other aspect of this decentralization decentralization thing is that the software is not in one specific location, as I just kind of talked about. Rather, computers host portions or entire copies of the software locally. And whenever is an exchange is needed, whether that's like, I solved the thing, give me a coin, or Shark allegedly pays for drugs with Bitcoin, uh... Yeah, I'm a
1: performance artist. That was just art.
0: Yeah, that was just Much art. Much like Alex Jones. Oh, yeah, of course. And yeah. Tucker Carlson.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, l- local elements, whenever this exchange is needed, are synchronized with all other elements to keep the ledger, again, also referred to as the blockchain, in sync. This means you can store your bits of the ledger, your coin, without ever needing the entire ledger in your... This is done in, like, wallets, and then you have exchanges. That's the more. That's the more detailed stuff. The other level of this is that it's all encrypted. Hypothetically, this means that exchanges are anonymous and private, which would allegedly allow Shark to pay for opiates, allegedly. Though if someone can crack into an exchange or a wallet, that privacy is collapsed. And this has happened many times, and exchanges are frequently hacked into and robbed, so this is something that should cause you to not take these claims at face value.
1: There is a simple truth in cybersecurity, which is that if you want to do something that requires cybersecurity, you should be doing something that is illegal or private, which is why you need the security. But not so illegal or private that anyone would ever want to look into it, because cybersecurity doesn't exist. <laughs>
0: it's not. I, so thing. I I did some admin work for a uh cyber consortium a while ago and at one of the meetings we were talking about some use case and one guy got exasperated and he said look we need to just agree that the only secure device the only trusted device is one that you throw out of a window from five stories up
1: yeah yeah <laughs> <sighs> it is the cell phone that you never connect to the internet anywhere
0: <laughs> yeah we Multiple companies have a conversation, which is like, how do we deal with password sharing? And like LastPass wow. got hacked into, and I, I, I was talking to a coworker about it. I was like, I don't know, I just use like KeyPass, which has no connection to the internet, <laughs> and oh, that's yeah. the only way to do it. But on top of all that, Bitcoin is an inherently libertarian project built upon the ideas shared and expressed by cyber libertarians cypherpunks, and a whole host of other nerds. This translates to like bits and bobs pieces uh, that there is no regulation. If your coins are lost in any capacity, they're gone. This has led to things like the first major one that I'm aware of uh, was a heist with an exchange called Mt. Gox.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, One of the things that happened here is hackers just slowly siphoned money away from Mt. Gox for years, like in in the, the documentary film, Office space, and then th- they did this for years until the company filed for bankruptcy in 2014. Incurred massive fines by, I think, the French government ad nauseum this Happened. Did they
3: find out when they declared bankruptcy, or did they know before they that?
0: they knew it was happening, and okay. uh they just couldn't they stop like, it? Oh, and by oh, the wow. time, yeah, and then like I think the killing blow that forced them into bankruptcy was they had the hackers had gotten hold of like admin passwords. And just hacked in and lifted all of the Bitcoin from Mount Gox. That's
1: fucking awesome.
0: Yeah. So uh,
1: my favorite thing about that is it. We picture some like computer genius sitting with like a Matrix readout. It was probably someone's fucking secretary who slept with them at their house and then saw their admin password because that's Mm -hmm. how these things actually happen you know it's also
0: like who was the the i think it was the first press sector secretary trump had who was just like tweeting out phone numbers when he was trying to log in to twitter yeah what yeah he just kept tweeting his phone number because he was trying to log into twitter (laughs) and he i think he was doing it via the sms thing and yeah (laughs) yeah
1: There's just some hot janitor living for free off of the money they stole from that company right now.
0: <laughs> but yeah, it's like, uh, it, yeah, it, exactly what Shark said. Like the the Legion of Doom picture is the one that gets like tread on uh, and yeah. all sorts of of movies and everything. But it's really just social engineering. Yeah. Like there's a a scam floating around where like um, people are able to. Make a call, but mask their phone number as like a registered business number. So you might get a a phone call from what appears to be your bank. And they lead you through like password recovery because they say that your your account has been compromised. But they got someone sitting right next to them who's just logging in with the credentials you give them. That's what hacking is.
1: Yeah, it's way (laughs) harder to break into a computer than it is. To convince a boomer, they don't know how computers work,
0: yeah. which is the I basic know, principle. I innocent of little brains. Yeah. Shit, it's happened to so many people I know who are younger than me. So it's just oh, people aren't good. People aren't good at this. This is <laughs> if, just a failing if, with the human brain.
1: As someone studying cybersecurity, if someone ever calls or emails you, yeah, email or call, hang up and then call your bank. Yep. Or call whatever. Like no yep. one ever calls you.
0: Don't also you should, and this is now cybersecurity hour with yep. Shark and Aaron, but you should uh switch <laughs> over to two-factor authorization whenever you can using a, a uh an app that generates code that you can hook into whatever you yep. SMS codes are better than nothing, but you shouldn't use them if you if you have an alternative.
1: Or just never put anything on the internet.
0: Never put anything on the internet.
1: Zero times.
0: Go into a cave. Live out the rest of your days happy and ignorant.
1: Agriculture was a mistake. Agriculture was a mistake.
0: Our our ancestors should have been eaten by megalodons. (laughs) In short, Bitcoin is a currency based on math problems, created by computers (laughs) doing those math problems, and recorded on software called the blockchain. Anyone with Bitcoin has access to the Bitcoin or the blockchain for the purposes of recording exchanges and verifying work by others on the network and this is called proof of work. The drawback to all of this is that there is no regulation, shysters abound, and if you lose BTC uh, Bitcoin one way or another, it's gone gone. Bye bye. Oh, also, if someone manages to corner the market on Bitcoin by obtaining 51% of the blockchain, they essentially have admin access.
1: Which is fucking awesome. I'm so yeah. excited for it to happen one day.
0: <laughs> it's, it's already happened before. It has been a long time since there is so much Bitcoin. Yeah, And, you know, it would take a lot of computing power on, like, a national scale to- Wait, wait, hold on. I'm getting a transmission. I'm being alerted that- Multiple Russian mega corporations with ties to Putin, including Gazprom, have been opening massive mining operations. The, the
1: true crime in all this is just let me buy a fucking graphics card. You goddamn weirdos,
0: yeah, that so that that's um we're going to talk about that in a little bit. but yeah, okay. like part yeah. Of the the uh, computer
1: parts have become absurdly expensive,
0: yeah, because we're going we're going to get into it. But yeah, for a while, uh it was nigh on impossible <laughs> to upgrade your computer uh i think i got like i got lucky because uh there was one <laughs> team meeting that i was in during our last company or with our last company rachel that i just was feverishly refreshing best buys website on multiple windows <laughs> wow in order to get a graphics card <laughs> and i got one and now they're all like 300 dollars cheaper than they were <laughs> when i bought it oh man well what are you gonna do yeah so let's talk for a moment about why that matters all of this matters and how bitcoin was floated around the internet as a way for regular people to get a stake in something big or allegedly buying opiates allegedly allegedly. I invite you once again to travel in time with me to the year
2: 2008
0: I am in Knoxville with a trio of reprobates in Tennessee's engineering school
1: I am 12 there- <laughs>
3: Yeah, I was going to say, I'm much younger than that. Fuck. I think I was still, I think I was just entering high school. No. 2008. Middle
0: school. (laughs) Mm. So these reprobates' routine is pretty simple. (laughs) They go to class, they study for a bit, they come home, play video games, and dick around on 4chan. At some point during this time, they have heard about Bitcoin being engineers who had already convinced themselves that 911 was an inside job because one they watched Zeitgeist two jet fuel can't melt steel beams three cell phones can't operate at that altitude and four they're engineers so they know things
1: wait cell phones can't operate at that altitude is that a thing people say
0: it was i don't know if they still do it but they you know absolutely can yeah well you know how there were phone calls yeah they said that they can't. That couldn't have happened. And I think that came out of Zeitgeist. I'm not a hundred. It was either that or like spare change. The other.
1: You are quite literally at most a mile away from a cell I know. <laughs> a, feet aren't farther when they're vertical. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's the. I never heard that one, and that's the dumbest you know, fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. It,
0: it was a dumb time, and uh, I don't. I haven't talked to them in a very long time. Now, the fourth point, they were engineers, and so they knew things. Uh, They also, they, they, yeah, my roommates were also bought in on the idea that Bitcoin would upend the market, and thus, they started mining. Looking back, when they tried to convince me that I could have mined even a little bit using my MacBook, I could have given it a shot and could have made at least something. Not much, but it would have been enough to help with living expenses when the price of Bitcoin spiked shortly after I graduated grad school and was dead broke all the time. See, in 2008, Bitcoin was something that you didn't need a dedicated server farm sort of situation to mine. You could, ostensibly, allow your computer to mine Bitcoin while you, like them, were at class. However, as coins continued to be minted, that became harder and harder to do. If you wanted to mine as the number of coins increased and you wanted to be efficient, you needed more power and more processing. This led to people building computers built specifically for mining, turning computers into uh, essentially bare-bones machines with one or two graphics cards because those cards, GPUs, had the sort of dedicated processors that would run these operations efficiently. What Shark and I were talking about, about why everything was so expensive. And from here, you can probably see where this is going. In 2002, CNET reported that one transaction, not mining a coin, just the energy required to exchange coins, quote, takes uh, 1,449 kilowatts to complete or the equivalent of approximately 50 days of power for the average U.S. household. Oh, my God. To put that in money terms, the average cost Mm -hmm. per kilowatt hour in the U.S. is close to 12 cents. That means a Bitcoin transaction would generate approximately an energy bill of $173. Bitcoin mining uses as much much energy as Argentina, according to the Bitcoin Energy Consumption Index... And at that annualized level of 131.26 terawatt hours, crypto mining would be in the top 30 of countries based on energy. Ew. Think about that. That's. I'm gonna let that settle in.
3: No, I don't want it to let it settle. <laughs> <laughs> that's Every so time disgusting.
0: Transactions happen,
3: and that's not even like the mining part. Po- it's just the transactions. Yeah, that's just
0: transactions. It's
1: just How the is- most energy so
3: part of the system?
0: yeah. what was that rachel
3: it's so unsustainable
0: (laughs) yes it is there was uh we're gonna get into nfts in a little bit but there there was uh when nfts got huge there was a dude who was making nft art and realized like to create one art it was like the approximate usage of a major city Uh, (laughs) yeah
3: i forgot that nfts are a thing were a thing
1: Thank Thank you, you for remember that, back into my brain. About that? You remember NFTs? What a cute group of guys.
0: Well, they are is all now into AI. Well, we'll talk about it. After. <laughs> they are all now into AI shit. and just well. I guess it's more accurate to say that they are all into like Decentraland and will be moving to AI. There. But that's for later. Right now, according to the Bitcoin Energy Consumption Index, Bitcoin has. Uh, this is about a year after that CNET article. Bitcoin mining has the same carbon footprint as Singapore. So, it's safe to say, gone are the days of being able to mine Bitcoin from your home and expect to have any impact in mining an actual. But that hasn't stopped tech evangelists from being cheerleaders for the technology. And indeed, as Columbia points out in his book, investors in tech companies, software engineers, and tech executives were early adopters and boosters of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general. Columbia draws a thorough through line between them, right wing libertarian economics, the conspiracies around banks, all of that, and the founders of the cyber libertarian mo- movement. And that has continued apace today. You need only to go into a bar in Redacted, find someone in Nike gear or a dude with their hair in a bun, and ask their opinions on crypto to find that the idea that crypto is a solid thing is very much. Sure. As, as
1: a podcast, we cannot condone that you do that for your own health and well-being. <laughs>
0: Yeah, this is not actionable no. advice. Yeah,
1: never, never do that.
0: You consult with your psychiatrist before talking to people in a bar and redacted.
1: <laughs> never ask anyone about cryptocurrency.
3: <laughs> no, I have a good friend who works at a major I don't even know what it I think it's an exchange.
0: Okay. I don't know. Oh like, like Coindesk or something.
3: Yeah. And I always stay far away. Far away from that topic.
0: Yeah, you're a great
3: person, but like uh
0: I I went to Seder last year and there was this girl there that I was getting along with, and I was doing the whole, yeah, we're we're gonna make small talk and learn about each other thing that human beings do. And then she said that she works at a crypto exchange. I was like, okay, (laughs)
3: yeah, we have different values,
0: yeah.
1: had an incredible moment. I had an incredible one of those last night. My roommate brought home a friend of theirs from work who we were like chatting. And I was like, yeah, so uh," she mentioned that she'd gotten out of college recently. And I was like, cool, what'd you study? And she was like, criminology and communications. And I was like, both those are made up, but I didn't say that out loud.
0: because you went to school for liberal arts
1: yeah, yeah they're more made up than my classics degree yeah yeah that is that is true that is true. <laughs> at least the classics happen except they've been published
2: yeah that's
1: better <laughs> <laughs> um so i was like oh cool what's the dream with that and she's like oh, i want to become a park ranger and i was like oh that's not like innately a bastard thing so yeah. I was like that's cool what kind of park ranger do you want to become and she was like law enforcement and my roommate looked at me and was like, Don't ruin my work. You can't. Don't <laughs> fucking do it. And all the air left the room. And I just yeah. like, quietly walked out. And you just went, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: so these sorts of people, never you could talk point, never talk to anyone. You could point them in the direction of how, because crypto doesn't have regulation, it's fodder for dozens of heists of exchanges. Or people pumping and dumping currencies, much like Elon Musk keeps doing by claiming that he's going to, for example, accept Bitcoin with Tesla. Or, you know, changing Twitter's icon to the Doge meme dog in order to jack up the price of, of Dogecoin. Excellent.
3: I was just going to say, are we going to yeah. talk about Dogecoin? So great. Yeah,
0: and like I don't know, Dogecoin started off as a funny joke, and now people actually think that it's legitimate, and I'm sad. You can't wow. even have a funny joke anymore. <laughs>
1: Fucking my roommates in Redacted, the ones you met, tried to oh, get yeah. me to no, buy Dogecoin. And I they was sucked. like,
0: I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to fucking buy crypto. I knew that. I knew they sucked. Yeah. <laughs> they <First laughs> like Dogecoin.
1: Met- it's big. Elon Musk tweeted about it. And I was like, there's a sentence scientifically designed for me to not buy it.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah. These oh. people, they're not going to listen. You could even tell them about how crypto's electronic footprint is offsetting whatever minor good the world is doing to combat climate change, they won't listen. You could even make a base appeal saying that because crypto isn't taxed the same way as dollars or other investments, all of their money that they're siphoning off into crypto is essentially taking money away from direly needed investment into infrastructure or schools. They won't listen. Their eyes will glaze over. And when you take a breath, They'll roll the eyes in the back of their head like a Mentat and talk about how energy isn't a concern because Ethereum is going proof of stake instead of proof of work. And then you'll dive over the bar and try to kill yourself with (laughs) alcohol poisoning. Proof of stake, it should be noted as an alternative method of checking transactions on the Bitcoin instead of having all the computers check work. Oh, I thought it was a stupid VC term. It is uh you no know, right ra- <laughs> it's rather just than having... also
1: something people want to base the entire global economy on
0: <laughs> exactly so rather than having all the computers do the check work mm-hmm. thing proof of stake essentially has people with stake allow or disallow transactions and for ethereum <laughs> you might immediately means... notice a flaw in this you should immediately notice a flaw uh for ethereum the stake needed to do this is 32 ethereum and right now that equivalent is over $61,000 in crypto. So it is not exactly democratic.
1: I don't see a problem with a system where the people who have the most money decide whether or not you have money, Aaron.
0: I mean, that's basic. Yeah, no, I I think it's a fine system. We should have, like, there should be judges for this (laughs) system and (laughs) they should be allowed to be gifted crypto because the, the judges need to know if we're going to have... Wizards who have the power of justice. Yep, it just yeah. makes sense. Yeah, giving giving judges gifts is um, it's fine. It's fine. It's they love our Walmart democracy. pocket parking lots they more do. than resorts. They shark. do. They do. <laughs> and while these people Ooh. are still in the mintat mode. They'll go on to tell you that Bitcoin will only continue going up and up in value while the value of the dollar goes down and down and down. They'll say that soon enough, Bitcoin will increase to one million dollars per Bitcoin. And if you get in now, you can share in the riches. They'll tell you that when that happens, everyone will take Bitcoin. And finally, the international monetary system will realize that crypto is the only valid currency because it's got an intrinsic value set by the circulation of a set number of coins in the market. They'll say that like gold, Bitcoin is the Free of extrinsic pressures, and as a hedge against inflation, they will then ascend into the heavens, open their mouths, and shoot down beams of light from their eyes and say, Bitcoin has changed the world! Nope. (laughs) Nope.
1: Any system that relies on everyone buying in simultaneously is only applicable to late 2000s Lindsay Lohan. (laughs) I it will not work for Bitcoin. I'm sorry. Kirby fully yeah. the only time that happened. It was an inexplicable moment in
0: the course of humanity. Humanity was for a time, for two hours, united in one. Yeah. It was a beautiful time. I yeah. cried for yeah. two hours.
1: Because you were in college while Rachel and I were twelve.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Now, here's the thing, though. None of this matters. The central hinging point of crypto is that it was sold as an alternative monetary system, but it's not. Broadly speaking, money is defined as having three characteristics. One, it's used as the medium of exchange. Two, it's used as a store of value. And three, it's used as a unit of account. Of account. Bitcoin and crypto in general fails two of these three definitions. It is not a reliable store of value because it is absurdly volatile, partly because of the propensity of people with a lot of stake to engage in pump and dump schemes to increase their value, which means that it's not going to be super reliable from day to day. It's also not used as a unit of account because ultimately crypto isn't traded for crypto, it's traded for dollars.
1: (laughs) That's the funny part.
0: Yeah, it's always you. You <laughs> only hear people refer to Bitcoin in usually dollars, but also like euros or pounds. It's it's, it's never like I want to go. I, I'm I'm looking forward to having Bitcoin because that's going to be a thing. It's like oh no, Bitcoin's going to increase in dollar value.
1: It's really the like core of the argument is that Bitcoin will get to the point like when. Like the US dollar is at like the Weimar Deutschmark level? Yeah. Like when I'm making kites out of dollars, bitcoins will be worth a lot of dollars. And it's like I don't,
0: you don't get it. Yeah. You don't understand how things work. Yeah, because in their in some in the people who actually believe that, like their mind is that, oh, that's when people are going to use Bitcoin because the dollar's gonna be in the shittle. But no, they're not. <laughs> yeah, and in, in Columbia in his book, has a lot of stuff about like how this is like oh, all right it, i think it was in the first episode we talked about how this is like all of this rhetoric around cyber libertarianism is built around the idea that it's only for people who have enough financial stability and uh ability to be on the internet and it's the same thing because this kind of conversation leaves out anyone who doesn't have the means to use crypto, <laughs> and it never will, because the people who who pump this stuff up don't care. So, speaking of pumping, uh, let's talk for a moment about pump and dump schemes in tech. Now, the king of this, as it appears, is Elon Musk. Musk routinely chooses one to three cryptocurrencies at a time and fucks with their values by boosting them and then crashing them soon after. He's done this with Bitcoin when claiming that Tesla would be a long-term supporter of Bitcoin by buying a bunch, and then a year after buying a bunch of it, sold 75% of it when it went up in value. This tanked Bitcoin's price. He's also done this with, I think it's Shiba Coin is another one, and then most recently he's done this with DogeCoin by changing the fucking icon of Twitter to a Shiba Inu.
3: So he he made a lot of money by selling it, which then tanked the value of it?
0: because all of their holdings were then distributed everywhere because they sold it for dollars so you have it, it's basically you, this you is know hurting my brain. you ever hear people talk about like how if if the Fed releases a lot of money it devalues the dollar yeah that kind of happens with Bitcoin when he does this kind of stuff because he bought such a substantial amount of Bitcoin and then sold three quarters of what he sold which means that, Valuation, you know, which kind of relies on two things. One is the perception of how valuable it is. And then two, the currency. Because Mm -hmm. the currency or the amount in circulation uh, expanded a lot, the value drops. And then because people saw him uh, like a major holder of Bitcoin and a company that was promising to be like a, a long term supporter of it, they saw this company dump it and they're like oh that means something's bad so it causes Got a run. It. Yeah.
1: okay it's basically like if bill gates created a bunch more microsoft shares mm-hmm. and then sold all of his yeah, microsoft shares are stock. a great example
0: of this because yeah. it's just the stock okay. market yeah. and it's, so, it's yeah.
1: just unlicensed securities trading yeah.
0: that's a much better thing than like dollars because this is yeah. it's the stock market that
3: makes sense yeah yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. um so, and now he's done this with Dogecoin by the the whole Twitter icon thing, with, which was a move that likely caused the bedraggled remnants of Twitter's engineering departments to lose their goddamn minds. Site continues to start. All four of up. them, yeah, all four of them, all on H one B visas <laughs> and terrified that they're going to be deported. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, as we're seeing, the central premise or promise of crypto fails immediately. It's not money; it's a commodity parading around in the guise of money and it got that way because people who invested early knew that in order for their investment to keep growing more and more people had to buy in so they brought more and more people in then as
1: it's like it's like it's a shape it's like a a, a
0: shape where like the top is thinner than the bottom yeah and and (laughs) the only way that these people knew that their investment would grow was through more adoption, which then created as shark was saying an eerily, like it's like a pyramid (laughs) structure with a few people at the top, holding a lot of stake and they need more and more people under them. Like, like down,
1: like, like
0: down the hill, down down a hill. Perhaps. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah it's a downstream trickle down. Idea pitch. Yeah. And do you know who one of these people is who was, like, trying to drum up all of his followers to buy in? Can you can you guess? I mean, you probably know a few people who are doing this, but can you guess the one I'm thinking of?
3: No, nobody's coming to mind except for Elon
0: Musk. Shark, you want to guess?
1: I feel like I feel like this is going to be a surprising one.
2: It, is it, it a surprising be.
0: one? You might have heard of this. I'm not sure. It's Andrew Anglin. Of course, it's fucking Andrew Anglin. Do you want to talk about him, Shark?
1: Ooh! So, Andrew Anglin is the less appealing version of Tucker Carlson. He writes, he's like a far-right neo-Nazi who was for a while the editor of a site called Stormfront, which is just like fucking Nazi propaganda. And then the
0: Daily Stormer after that.
1: He's in the running for most punchable face in America. He's certainly a top five.
0: Cool. So here's what a Frontline article writes about this. In england's one uh white nationalist cryptocurrency guide circulating on Ter- telegram and he puts it this way quote we all know the jews and their minions control the global financial system <laughs> strong start <laughs> the, the classics the i know i was just gonna
3: ask like what is a white national cryptocurrency guide and then that first sentence just explains it thank yep. you
0: go uh, on <laughs> when you are caught you having the wrong opinion they will oh, take no, it he upon was never them- stormfront that's my bad he was always the
1: daily stormer they yeah. need more names that don't Well I, like Storm. stormfront
0: also <laughs> ran on crypto i think for a while
1: uh, before it yeah. was shut
0: down but uh, qu- resuming this 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 wonderful quote when you are caught having the wrong opinion they will take it upon themselves to shut you out of the system making your life very difficult one alternative to the system is cryptocurrency so England and many others in the neo nazi space turned to crypto in an effort to hide their money trail. They also did a lot of legwork to get their followers to buy into crypto, pitching it as a way to escape the banking system run by the omnipresent Jewish conspiracy. Here's what an AP article wrote, and this has a slur that neither of you should ever say, and I should not, but I'm going to. Here's the quote. Uh, The AP reached out to all the groups and individuals named in this article. Most did not reply to requests for comment. A few were unreachable. Others replied anonymously, sending anti-Semitic and pornographic content. One email, for example, read, Stay the fuck out of our crypto, you demonic kike, die. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, after crypto, you have NFTs. You should
1: put that as something on your website. That could be <laughs> that could be the subtitle. It could be Aaron Simon demonic. <laughs>
0: That's Mm -hmm. going to be on my business card at work. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) In your email signature.
0: Uh Aaron
3: Simon,
1: project manager.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Um, NFTs were like crypto, but even worse, because you couldn't use them as currency. You'd basically buy a piece of art that was verified as unique by being part of the blockchain, typically on Ethereum's chain. And then that's it. You'd hope that it went up in value and could then sell it. Uh, The most prominent one of these was the Bored Ape thing, which was a series of procedurally generated bullshit. Uh, Now, no one buying these apes was psyched about the aesthetic values of the apes because they all looked like shit. (laughs) They were psyched because they thought they'd got in on the ground floor of a new Bitcoin bubble. And, you know, some of them did. Enough hype around NFTs was generated that corporations as varied as Facebook and Square Enix jumped on board. Square Enix is a Japanese game publisher. Hmm. Square Enix began announcing plans to implement NFTs in games, though they somewhat backed down after immense pushback from customers. Uh, I think they're they're probably just waiting for people's memories to die and then implement
3: them. Wait, what do you implement them? What does that even mean?
0: Um, so there is uh, an example of this would be, um, there's another game called Counter-Strike Global Offensive. And that game allows people to collect like skins for rifles and shit and then okay. sell the skins for rifles and for actual uh, money.
3: so weird.
0: the way okay. you can implement nfts in games is like you can have you can do things in the game and then you earn an nft backed item hmm. okay very dumb yes uh facebook though they went all fucking in they changed the parent company's name to meta they pitched the idea of the metaverse as an nft-backed space to live in like you were in ready player one but could go to fucking walmart
1: uh, <laughs> the the main fantasy of ready player one going to the mall
0: exactly <laughs> the zuck spent a lot of his company's time and money on making this thing a thing and it deflated almost immediately
3: i didn't know that they that the, i guess it was backed by nft or if that was the intention I well didn't know so that. he
0: wanted it to be like this decentralized black blockchain based thing and I don't know the tech behind it, but it has something to do. NFTs, and the whole, the entire metaverse is based around this idea of a decentralized space. Sorry, Barry is having some time. I don't know if you can hear him. <laughs> As I've been talking about NFTs, he started going like, <laughs> 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 "It's wonderful." <laughs> anyway, so we'll we'll talk. Uh, Shark, I'm going to open it up for you to rant about Decentraland again, but um. Ultimately, it deflated. In other places, in other spaces, people figured out how to turn NFTs into a way to exploit people in developing nations. Things like Axie Infinity is a game that sprang up and turned NFTs into Pokemon. How that thing operated is that uh, people, typically in the West and tech, would stake money into NFTs and then hire other players to battle each other for a cut of the proceeds from the team of little creatures. Basically, the way this works is teams grow by winning matches and getting an in-game item called love potions, which are used <laughs> to breed more car- more critters and are backed by the crypto the game is based on. What wound up happening in the scheme of like they, they pitched it to, to people as a way to earn money while playing games, uh, what wound up happening is that players who battled other players were in heavy debt burned out and all around exhausted because this is a cryptocurrency when the value goes down you're spending a lot of time playing this game and earning nothing while being shouted out by some dickhead in san francisco you can read more about this you know all over the internet the the time article there's a time article that has a lot about it it's a it's a fucking bummer uh It's also a horrible little case study in just how damaging these sorts of practices are in gaming in general, from everything from loot boxes to Skinner boxes in MMO. Getting people to log on and do your dailies, all of these things that just make you addicted or with loot boxes as a form of gambling. But hey! That company, the, the one who created Axie Infinity, got scammed out of $600 million because crypto is a cesspool, and you should always remember that. I beg you, please don't test taint yourself by getting into crypto. For the love of God, it's a net loss for humanity, just as whatever Web 3.0 is shaping up to be. People like Zuckerberg have claimed that the web will now be blockchain forward that Web 3.0 will allow people to own their creations, but more because of blockchains and NFT. Going back to our first episode, the idea that the internet is opening up ways for people to own things beyond copyright and intellectual property, this is what they have done. They claim all of this stuff by, despite doing their level best to lay claim to anything created and put on their platform. For a while... And it's probably still a legit concern, like, in user license agreements there is, a, for, like, Facebook, they can take whatever you put up there and use it in advertising, so it's not yours, it's theirs. They claim all of this, despite the net's founding documents being, at best, murky on just as what they think intellectual property and copyright are, while saying the market is doing a thing to make it better. And they claim all of this despite creating tools that yoink and combine existing artwork without attribution or regard to copyright down to including Getty watermarks on images created by their tool. Um. Yep. So I now I'm going to let you talk about Decentraland before I move on to shouting about...
1: just The metaverse is stupid. Full stop. It's stupid and no one needs it. Like, my favorite... Yeah. What? Sorry, I keep going. Just like the inter... These people desire to make a space where like NFTs and cryptocurrency become like the underlying basis of a digital world and every step along the path is the dumbest fucking thing you've ever heard of and it's amazing that these people get to testify in front of congress (laughs) it's like what if we took a money that you had to like physically club a seal to create
0: What if you had to burn down an (laughs) acre of rainforest to buy (laughs) a... a
1: To make that money. And then we use that as a basis to back the originality of art that no one wants as a way to create a mall that doesn't exist and no one wants to go to. And this will be the new basis for reality. And it will all be done on a headset that gives people who aren't chronically playing video games violent motion sickness. It's just like an incredible fucking pitch. It's the dumbest chain of thoughts a human can have.
3: I only have one thought throughout all this, and what do they say about people who were just taking screenshots of these stupid NFTs? Like, what...
0: I don't. <laughs> I don't my think my brain
2: foiled
1: their plan, Rachel. This is well, the, they, I, I don't the think... one flaw. You can right click and save the image.
0: Here's here's the thing: is I think a lot of these people who buy the NFTs are coming at it from the perspective of like, oh, I'm gonna be like that scene in Tenant where they go into the into the weird rich person vault where all of the art is, and they're just storing the art so that it goes up in value. So they don't care about screenshots. They're like, but I got the NFT and they think that's enough.
1: Their argument is that like the, when you save as, it's like Aaron saying, they have the original Rembrandt, which yeah. in this case is a procedurally generated picture of a monkey
2: yeah. on because their was- hard
1: drive. And you don't have the original <laughs> yeah. Rembrandt monkey. So your image isn't as good. Yeah. Negating the fact that unlike an actual Rembrandt painting, mine is of the exact same quality. Yeah,
0: but here's the thing is like, and there is similarity between them and like people who, who view art as an investment, yes. is they don't care about the aesthetic. It doesn't okay, matter fair. that the art looks like shit. It's that they think that it's going to continue.
3: Okay, I mean, I I understand that point a yeah. bit, but I it doesn't make sense to me when it's just... No. It who doesn't. gives a fuck about this? Like, Im- this image that was Correct. created. Like, who?
0: No. You understand. <laughs> this is. It, it. makes me yeah. feel
3: so <laughs> dumb sometimes because no. I'm like, why are people buying into this? The thing is, I'm like, like you... I have to be missing
0: something. No, but you're not. not. You're not. <laughs> no. You have ethics, <laughs> and that's what's holding you back. <laughs> if you reject this is, uh, ethics, this is why
3: I'm not a millionaire yet. Yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah.
1: It's just a fucking absurd, like, yes, you having not spent a lot of time thinking about this and learning some stuff about it today, have in 10 seconds identified <laughs> the key problem with the entire system. Yep
0: you don't even need that's all it takes yeah there's no need to create marx's capital for this (laughs) no it's just stupid (laughs) yeah yeah. you can just have someone
1: read you an objective statement of what it is and be like wait (laughs) yeah that's fucking dumb (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) yeah so make no mistake for these people web 3.0 is not a creator's paradise because again they don't give a fuck about aesthetics Web 3.0 is just another opportunity for them to convince you to put just enough stuff on their platforms to make it a pain in the ass to get off of those platforms when they become predatory. Yet again, I am typing this on Google Docs. I have thousands of photos on Google Photos. Both of those were, at one point, so incredibly free that it was stupid not to use them. But then, as Doctoro's and process outlines, The services became more and more expensive, both in terms of cost of moving off of the service and of using them at all. I have, in short, been in shittified out of using alternate things.
3: Now you pay for unlimited storage from Google fucking one and you're just tied to it forever. Yep. it's great. Yep.
0: And that process is coming for whatever you do that is AI related or crypto related or whatever. If indeed web 3.0 becomes the nft zone then we are going to be worse off for it just look at metaverse or decentraland don't be a schmuck don't buy the hype if someone is selling you that is, t- is telling you that something is going to change the world without a lot of blood sweat and tears they're trying to take all of your money and everything you've ever made in your and this brings me to the final part in our the machine gods omnius <laughs> and erasmus but again the crypto bubble seems to have burst or at least shrunk impressively. In its place we are an AI territory sparked by ChatGPT, a very cleverly made web scraper that has been coded to be very convincingly or very convincing and combine a lot of text on the internet and tweak the text with minor tones that are essentially Instagram filters but for words. Many people are convinced that the end times are here and that the robots will kill us all. I am more convinced That companies will implement this thing, and others like it, to automate vast swaths of support workers and writers out of jobs, and yet again, we don't have any social safety net to help Shark, though, has been corrupted by the machine gods, or Omnius and Erasmus, and thinks they will save us. Shark... Defend yourself as I prepare my zealous hordes for the Simonian Jihad against thinking machines. Never shall you make a machine in the image of a human, shark. Wrap me in sand drought. I am ready to lead humanity on the golden path.
1: I will die on this hill. Chat GPT and things like it TMCR are... Not good in and of themselves. They're owned by fucking monsters who want to use it to do monster stuff. But it is a tool that will do for, if you're a hardline Marxist, what we call the professional managerial class, or as most people know them, those of us with bullshit jobs, looking at all three of us, or Rachel soon to be. um, People whose jobs is to generate the, like, grease that keeps the gears of capitalism running that a monkey could do. And where skill expression is incredibly low and only leads to nihilism in a direct correlation. And things like ChatGPT will have the effect on those jobs like the fucking industrial sewing machines have on garment workers. There will be a bad time this is objectively correct but i don't know maybe we'll actually kill those fucks after we all lose our jobs this time we might
0: we are going straight into blade runner and cyberpunk territory my friend there is no hope that is why you must smash the ai machines it <laughs> doesn't matter that they're not bad in on themselves you must smash them <laughs> you must become a mintat <laughs>
3: I learned today that someone at Samsung put some of their code in chat GBT to make sure everything was correct. And wouldn't you know it, it was sold. Yep. Yep.
2: They got it. Yep. Mm-hmm.
3: So it's really great times. But yeah, I have been using it for like cover letters and stuff because yeah. why would I want to waste brain, yeah. brain
1: space
0: You are to do tainted. that? Both of yeah, you. Do it. Do it. The, the, jihad. You
3: know what? the <laughs>
1: rise of the, the industrial revolution led to the promulgation of capitalism no but it also led to the creation of like socialist structures it was the thing that i threw am off
2: morpheus the shackles in zion feudal, you threw
0: off the shackles of the feudal world you are the, the, the architect and matrix revolutions <laughs> and you must be crashed the Cross- entire
1: model of modern capitalism rests on people with bullshit jobs and the abolition of the bullshit job will do to capitalism what the abolition of menial labor did to feudalism. And I will die on this hill.
0: We are, we are too just <laughs> fucking drugged up by our little computer palms to, to, to <laughs> encourage anyone to take to this.
1: My second pitch for why it's good. This is a two part. Is that it will lead to the death of reality, which can only be is... a net
0: positive at this point. I'm sorry. Did you not <laughs> listen to this? the Illuminati episodes of Behind the, the Bastards? The whole uh, well, uh, Chapel Perilous does not work out. It absolutely, we don't know if it works out yet. <laughs> We're in the middle of
1: seeing if it works out. No. And and, no. <laughs> and we clearly are not responsible enough as a species to handle reality. And so we must destroy it. We must not be able to believe in video or pictures or audio recording. You shouldn't be able to believe in something even if you see it. And this is the only way to save us.
0: Shark is a mystic. Yeah. <laughs> in jerusalem and i am a rabbi or a a, a cohen yeah. shouting kill him <laughs> during during the french
1: revolution they overthrew catholicism and maximilian robespierre created like the god of just like pure rationality mm-hmm. and what he failed to see in that moment was the obvious thing that the world is fundamentally irrational and we have been doomed by the rational mission of the Enlightenment ever since that moment that he created the cult of reason. And what we need to do is overthrow the rational world and the destruction of meaningful information will do. And, and that you are, is my pitch. We are going back. Aaron will get into Kabbalah. We will all <laughs> embrace the inherent mysticism that the world truly needs. Nothing are, is real for yourself.
0: You are relying on tools that are nothing but logic statements <laughs> in order to crush logic. It does not work.
1: It will create the, as as the chairman says, it will highlight the contradiction. <laughs> it will make it clear that nothing is real. We will logic so hard that we break logic. <laughs> it will save us all. On accident.
0: Well, I look forward to becoming the God Emperor and a sandworm. And uh, just, you will be the Duncan Idaho that is just cloned over and I, over again. What throughout I'm the describing
1: millennia. is Dune.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. And it needs to be crushed. It was no. a mistake to allow the thinking machines to come to the prominence that they had.
1: No, this will be our Butlerian Jihad. Except it won't be cool. It will just be us not being able to believe anything ever, which is good. Chapel Perilous is good. Hopefully, it's our. It's the only way. The only way out is through.
0: Rachel, what we do cannot you cannot
3: back up. No, I, I'm tending to agree with
0: Shark. This yes, is this is terrible. This what is, are we I mean, do this reverse? whole time, I'm just thinking... No, I'm saying there, I mean, smash out of the tunnel and go a different way.
3: Uh, no, I don't think there is a different <laughs> way. Collapse
0: the tunnel around you and bring it all to an end. Yes, Rachel!
3: <sighs> I mean, I don't know. I just feel like the end of the world is so near <laughs> that like this, all of the crypto bros and like whatever, I... Are we we ever going to get to the point where they find their creation succeeding? No, because the world will be destroyed. That's how I feel. Yeah. So, yeah, it's great.
1: We must push to these. We must fully dethrone reality.
0: Well, the great thing is that uh, nothing I say will make any impact. Nothing that Shark says will make any impact because this shit is already set in motion and we are doomed to go into the chapel perilous one way or the other.
1: Yes. We we will be the Luke in that Dagobah cave, yeah. and we will either become Vader or kill Vader. Those yeah. are the only two options. Yep. And so just embrace it, folks. Just, it's either,
0: just... it, either going to be cyberpunk, or it will be the Jetsons.
1: Yeah, yeah. And just fucking get on the ride. <laughs> like, you can't stop it.
0: I mean, you can't really fight against it for all my shouting about wrapping myself in sand trout, because there aren't any sand trout, so...
1: Yeah, yeah. Just fucking get on the ride, worship at the feet of mysticism, embrace old school, like, weird religious shit, have sex with your friends in the woods, and wait for chat GPT to destroy reality. That's the only pitch. Stop (laughs) believing in things. It's all a myth, your brain is a computer, and it's bad at data interpretation, and we'll just, we'll learn that soon. Everyone will learn it, and we'll all either die or we'll fix everything
0: we're all gonna die
3: <laughs> yeah there's no fixing happening in the future
0: no well that's what i got i hope you've enjoyed this this journey through everything that happens into my brain whenever i'm in a meeting with anyone above a vice president <laughs> level at a tech company or anything that was talked about whenever i worked in smart home consortiums
2: oh, and why i don't want my, time.
0: why i don't want my robovac to connect to my wi-fi network <laughs> uh, that's just a yeah so, do you guys have any final thoughts you'd like to share?
3: All of it, like I still don't understand, really, like I, I, on a deeper level, you know, okay. crypto and Bitcoin and all of that. But you've just like reconfirmed everything that I've always thought about. Well,
0: it. that's my goal is to confirm so, our own biases.
3: <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, that's what this podcast is for, yes, right? Exactly.
0: Like... <laughs> yes. <laughs>
3: And I mean I think
1: that's part of the grift. I don't think there is a deeper level. I think it just relies on like you none of us understanding what the term proof of work means. And then they sound smart. Yeah. As someone good. Oh, just as someone with a degree in philosophy, this principle will get you a long way.
0: Yep. It's that overconfidence thing. If you put enough bluster and swagger behind what you're saying. Enough people are gonna buy it and not resist, and then you make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. See goop, for example. Uh, I'm
3: surprised you know what goop is. I mean, of course
0: I know what goop is. <laughs> Gleneth Paltrow is a terrible person.
3: <laughs> so so
0: Aaron, what yeah. could
3: we
1: possibly do to fix this idea where like people get lent false credibility by seeming smart? What can we do to like diminish their false credibility how are we going to like debate them until they're no longer credible or yeah, are you... we just going to destroy the idea of credibility itself what seems like a more feasible solution to you
0: neither it's
1: the second one I <laughs> say it but it's obviously the second one destroy reality it's the only option